0: Welcome to Interplay Conversations in Music. I'm Michael Shapiro, and I'm so pleased to have Chiyun today. Hello, Chiyun.
1: Hi. How are you? <laughs> oh,
0: great. You know, Chiyun, this pandemic has silenced, except in recordings, live performance by great violinists like yourself. Um, um, how are you getting through all of this? What are you doing?
1: Well, you know, actually, in the beginning, when it all like happened, um, I was... Like in a way, I thought, oh, well, maybe I will get a little bit of a break. I've been wanting to do this. I've been wanting to maybe take my summer off or, you know, maybe like a couple months off or something. I was like, wow, now I have to take my time off. So, but I think that only lasts maybe maybe a month. And then I start to really worry. Where yeah. you know, set in, I was like, "How long is this gonna last? Um, am I gonna have any kind of income coming in from my performances, or are we gonna actually go back to normal um, concert hall stages?" And then that sort of frustration lasted a little bit, and then I thought, you know what, I'm gonna use my time to really reflect and maybe review the pieces that I never thought that I had enough time to do so. So then I started just going through some of my repertoire, old repertoire and some of them new music and so forth. So trying to stay productive and, you know, now with the great news happening around the country with the vaccine coming up and stuff like that, I'm, you know, trying to stay um, optimistic. And, but I mean, I gotta be honest, it's hard to motivate yourself when you don't have an actual performance coming coming up, you know, in the near future. So my nearest um, new con- the next concert I'll be performing will be in February. So it's mid Feb or the first week of February, and uh, I was supposed to perform with the Pasadena Symphony, but of course it's gonna be now um, you know more of a chamber music setting and playing Tchaikovsky with a piano, and instead of two concerts, it's gonna be one. And you know, so there are a lot of changes happening, but at the same time, who knows? I mean,
0: <laughs> things are know. changing
1: last minute rapidly so
0: we don't know you know on interplay i've spoken to a lot of people conductors uh, instrumentalists um people active in the uh production of um, a music like opera directors or broadcasters and everyone to a person told me that for the first month or two they were in a state of lethargy they didn't <laughs> practice you know they didn't go near the, the instrument. They just were so incredibly low because don't you think as a performer, there's a certain kind of, I have to get up. I have to do thing that goes on. How do you prepare for a concert? What do you do?
1: I mean, it's almost like you don't even think about it. That's your life, you know, and I've been performing since I was, you know, a teenager and um, it's like, I always have something to do. I always have some, where to go like this weekend or like concerts coming up and I have my suitcases ready, several suitcases for like international travel or like in the States travel and so forth. So yeah, I mean, it's like, it's part of you. And all of a sudden that completely kind of stops everything just grand <laughs> for a while. So it's really kind of daunting and I completely understand that feeling. Um, so you know like but but i try to still try to do the same thing because you know if you just kind of like let go of your playing or something i mean as a violinist i think especially for and for me personally if i don't play for like a week or you know two weeks and especially at my age now i go out of shape really quick (laughs) quicker um so and that uh that kind of fear you know it's like almost like the like anticipating a concert coming up and you don't want to mess up kind of fear, it's similar. So I'm feeling like, you know, when the concerts are back, when I have a lot of things to prepare, if I'm out of shape, I'm not, I'm going to be out of time again. And I never want to feel that anxiety. So I try to keep, you know, positive mind. But at the same time, I need to keep up with this, you know, being in shape with my fingers and my repertoire. Otherwise, you know, you lose it. Once you lose it, it's hard to get it back. I think.
0: Jimmy Galway just told me that recently, by the way. Same thing.
1: <laughs> oh really? <laughs> yeah. I think that us musicians, I'm sure you, you know, you agree. It's just it's a skill, you know, and your well, agility. You're, aren't
0: you athletes in a way, in a way?
1: Well, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like for example, when I'm learning, I, I remember this when I was learning Pandoretsky violin Concerto Number no. Two for the first time, and this was. Like 20 years ago, and it was daunting piece. And then Mr. Pandreski had um, asked me to come and open his um, festival. Like, in, but you know, I only had like a month to learn it, and so it was daunting. And it, when I first looked at the piece, I mean, for, first of all, it's a 45-minute concerto, and it's a number two concerto. So, um, and. Barely any break, and there were a lot of technical stuff that I was like, "Wow, it's gonna take more than a month to do it." Mm. So I had actually, as you know, like completely just put a pause in my life in a way, and then I would just get up, and then just you know start practicing. And if I get tired, I'll take a break and you know eat something, and then I'll like almost stayed indoors at the time. I was living in New York City, so I could like order the food in. I did barely some days. I didn't even go outside. <laughs> So, you know, it's, (laughs) that's a life of a musician
0: sometimes. I know. When I conducted the, I remember doing the uh, Mozart clarinet concerto with the clarinets in my orchestra at the time, and he literally went on special vitamins for about six months. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I remember hearing Isaac Stern play a Penderecki violin concerto, and I'm trying to think if it was one or two.
1: Probably number one, yes. It was
0: one, right? So is this a more recent piece that he wrote before he passed?
1: Um, this is the piece that he was commissioned to write for Anne-Sophie Mütter. Uh, and this oh yes. was probably commissioned in the 90s, mid-90s. Okay. And it was later in the 90s that, you know, once her right to the piece had expired, and then he said, you know, now everybody could perform. And, mm-hmm. and when I was in at, at Juilliard, and, you know, it w- we were required to play in – at the time it was called Focus Ensemble and it was all new music, modern music. And I remember learning this one piece called <laughs> And I know it. Threnody's and <laughs> it was all symbols and you had to learn your part. And it was like, you couldn't really rely on your stamp partner and kind of airbow the passages. <laughs> you actually had like different part than your stamp partner. So we were kind of forced to really practice the part and learn it really well. Well, in the end, I actually loved the piece so much. And I remember performing it and Otto Mueller was conducting us at Alice Tully Hall. And then at the last, the chord, like, you know, at the last note of that piece, I just like felt this like shiver going through my body. And I thought, my God, I need to meet this composer. And then a few years passed. And one of my good friends, Allison Eldridge, she was performing his um, viola concerto which she performed on the cello and she was touring with him. And at the time he was at Yale uh, yes. School doing a residency for two, maybe two weeks to a month or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then she said, you know, if you would like to meet him, he's in New Haven, you could take the train. So I packed my violin in a hurry, and I went to you know to meet him in New Haven, and I played for him. And at the time, I had to perform the Lalo Symphony Espanol, so I played that concerto for him. And he was staying at a you know really nice um, home, which was I guess you know the Yale had um, rented out for him. Right. And his lovely wife Elvira was there. And after I performed the whole piece, he said. Mm, that's not one of my favorite pieces, but I like <laughs> <laughs> your yeah. You know, I mean, like, honest. you know about this about him. He, he is so funny, but he has probably very one of the most driest humor. <laughs> ever seen. And, okay. But he, he speaks truth all the time and whatever it, on his mind. He will give you his true opinion. And he's the first one to point out if you're playing something wrong in his music. <laughs> He actually notices it immediately. I'm sure
0: he and does.
1: it out to you. I'm sure he so, does. So um, I, you know, I just first laughed nervously, and then he said, "But I like how you play the violin, and I would like for you to learn my um, second concerto." And I thought, "Oh my gosh, this is like the biggest compliment." And so, yeah, that's how it came about that I met him. And then he brought me over to so many different continents and so many different stages and with the orchestras to perform his second uh, violin concerto. And I got to uh, record it, not with him conducting it, but um, yeah, on Knox's label, after Anne-Sophie Mütter had recorded of course. That's
0: wonderful. Yeah. And that's with what, what orchestra and conductor, do you remember?
1: It was the uh, Warsaw Philharmonic with Anthony Witt.
0: Oh, sure. He's a very fine conductor. Yeah. Yes. That's wonderful. Yes. That's totally wonderful. <laughs> I've been speaking to some instrumentalists recently about the differences in playing playing solo music? Yes. Recital music mm-hmm. and concerti. I mm-hmm. recently spoke to a wonderful pianist whose name I won't mention, who said that she has difficulty in working with many conductors and orchestras.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because she's not used to necessarily the lack of communication or intimacy that you have when you're doing chamber music, for example. Now you've done everything from Mm -hmm. solo to chamber to many concerti. You must have war stories, but you don't have to mention names. I'm just curious about the communication thing in concerto playing.
1: Sure. Well, I have to say, you know, of course the communication with a conductor is very important, but a lot of times I feel like especially Having performed a lot of chamber music, and I love performing chamber music with other musicians. Um, I, I after that experience, and I started to sort of look at the concerto, playing the concerto as a similar experience, instead of playing the you know soloist part against the orchestra, but rather with the orchestra musicians. So. And you know, if the conductor is not really communicative with you, it may be his personal style to maybe not look at you. I mean, you know, we all have different style of, of communicating, of course. So you know, once I understood that, I don't take that personally, and then I just rely on musicians, and I find that actually, actually, to be even more gratifying experience because I feel mm. like oh, I'm having conversation with the musicians, and that you know, when I know what the orchestra part. is or you know if I anticipated and I maybe I'm just mistaken but I feel like a lot of orchestra players also enjoy that communication with a soloist you know because I will turn around and sort of like recognize them and I'll try to listen to the part that I'm supposed to be playing with you know rather than against you know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying
0: no no I know totally so um, yeah
1: so Yes, I, I agree that some, some of the conductors are um, have a different style of communicating. You know, there was one conductor I was playing the Sibelius Violin Concerto, and I had never worked with him before. And um, you know, I, I I'm so used to sort of eye contact with the with a conductor. You, know, cause, and you breath
0: know, and who, breath contact breath contact you breathe but together
1: also i just love to look at the conductor and just make sure that and i love it when they look get me back yeah,
0: i love doing it
1: yeah so. I would love to work with you. Um, so and, you know, when we have the music memorized, and um, I know that there are, uh, of course, you know, performers also have different style when they perform. But I'm usually, I like to keep my eyes open for, you know, when I'm having to communicate with a, with a conductor. And so he didn't look at me, you know, much at all uh, during the rehearsal. And so I was kind of concerned about that. And then I thought, you know what? For the concert, I have like nine, you know, like ninety-nine musicians on the on stage who are willing to communicate with me. So when the cellists are playing, I'm gonna look at them, and I could feel, you know, the violins. You know, I could almost see the um, concertmaster because when I'm performing, I usually rather than standing in front of the orchestra, if it works out with the acoustics of the hall. I would like to stand more sort of inside the um, orchestra. Do you know what I mean? So I am not, like if the conductor is here, he's not really parallel. I'm almost diagonally across.
0: It's much better that way.
1: Yeah, and then also first violence like the, the concertmaster, I have a direct yeah, you can, icon.
0: You can lean into them.
1: Yeah, so, and then a lot of times, you know, great concertmasters, they will kind of lead the orchestra as well as the conductor and it's a combined effort I you know I recognize and I often see and I really like that as well. So at the concert it went just fine. you know he I don't think he looked at me. I just decided not to even look at him because I didn't want to take that personally. you know if I look at him, I didn't want to make him feel uncomfortable. <laughs> And then make myself look like, oh, okay, I'm fine, he's not looking at me back, you know, like, whatever. I
0: have to tell you a very funny story that Leon, Leon Fleischer used to tell that he, he performed once with um, Klemperer, you know, Otto Klemperer. And they were doing Brahms or Beethoven, and I forget what it was. And at the rehearsal, he'd play, and he'd look at Klemperer for some connection. Zero. <laughs> Second rehearsal, played, looked at Klemperer, Zero. They actually had a third rehearsal. Looked at Clempera, nothing. And at the Clemper at the end of the rehearsal, Clemper turns to him and goes, Good. <laughs> <laughs> that was that. You know Maybe <laughs> yeah, that's I don't
1: feel so bad. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah, don't feel so bad. <laughs> I'd like to talk to you about concerto because I'm very familiar. One of the earliest things that I did as a young musician when I was in my I don't know, eight, nine, ten years old My Uncle Charlie was a dentist, but when he had polio as a little boy, he studied violin. He turned out to be a very good violinist. So what he used to do when he'd come over to us, to my house, was he would bring a concerto book, and we'd go through all the great concerto, Beethoven, Mendelssohn, Brahms. We even did Lalo, (laughs) Tchaikovsky. We did all of those that were in his book, you know, that he had gotten in the 1920s or whenever when when he was a kid. Of the Concerti, the famous, the war horses, are there any that you'd rather never do again? <sighs> that you're kind of worn out from?
1: You know, not- I really appreciate it when I get to repeat the concertos. I don't know if I'm the only one who, maybe I haven't repeated enough.
0: <laughs> well, you, but, uh,
1: you know, people ask me, aren't you sick and tired of playing the Mendelssohn? I'm like, no, every time no. I play it, I just, I'm amazed how can a q and write this It's
0: beautiful an infinite, melody. that to me is, many people yeah. believe that that is the best written for the instrument, the Mendelssohn concerto. Do you yes. agree with that?
1: I totally agree. And it's so nerve wracking too, because so many people know it. And that first page, you know, that E minor, very awkward key. Now let's talk violin. about
0: that. Let's talk about that. <laughs> no, because this is a very major thing for me. What do you think the speed is?
1: Of the Mendelssohn Violin Concerto? First movement, yeah. Well, I personally prefer... I played in, you know, uh, different tempi settings. When I was young, I would probably rely more on, you know, established conductors, what their opinion is, and I would try to learn from that. And I'm still young. (laughs) I feel like I'm still learning.
0: You're younger than I I am.
1: (laughs) I personally prefer not it not to be too slow. Um, so in the beginning, you know, when the orchestras come in, you know, with this sort of this melody, you know, sort of it's very stirring and it's and I feel like my line is more of a yearning. I want my line to seem like it's not hurried, but I don't want it to be so slow tempo that I sound too sentimental or too sad. It is definitely yearning, beautiful melody, but still kind of, you know, allegro molto appassionato.
0: Appassionato.
1: Yeah, with passion. And for me, passion is a little bit more urgency. And that is definitely in the orchestra part, in the eighth note, moving eighth notes. Um, and mine should be very, you know, sort of singing le- linear line above that. But I will. I would like it to be not too slow, so that I could still yearn and have that feeling of urgency.
0: I, I sometimes think some violinists bear down too much on it, uh, as far as in the fa- in the sixteenth note sections where they're going. They're trying to show you know great virtuosity, and pushing and pushing, where it almost goes to being l- to Lisztian, Too uh, to
1: frantic, maybe exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. And, yes, and, you know.
1: Well, you know, it was, it's interesting because my, um, my teacher, great legendary Dorothy DeLay, yeah. she had told me, you know, when I was learning the Tchaikovsky Concerto, mm-hmm. you know, she would say, you know, once we learned the piece pretty well, and she would say, why don't you go to the library? At the time, we didn't have YouTube or anything like that. Go to the library, listen to five different recordings, five different artists you choose, and then compare, and then come back to me with your thoughts on them. So then I will do that, you know, with the first movement, second movement, and then with the third movement, she had said, you know, and and then I had mentioned to her at the time, I said, you know, I thought that, I used to think that Mr. Promise recording of that concerto was so fast, but actually it's not metronomically so fast, but it sounds so brilliant. And she goes, "Uh uh-huh, that's a trick. She said, you know, when you play things too fast, You actually lose the brilliance and clarity.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So when you bring the the tempo a little bit back, you get to actually hear every note a lot more clearly. You play them better too, and you end up sounding more brilliant. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So and that was like, okay, well that I gotta remember that because and also when we are on stage, you know, with the nerves, like when we get nervous, Uh we get so excited and our heart is beating faster you feel like your heartbeat coming out of your chest and you tend to do everything a little bit quicker because then I hear the recording, but I'm like, wow, I didn't mean to play that, that fast.
0: But Chiyun it's also the reverberation of the hall and the number of people, when you do the rehearsal, you don't have them all sitting there. That's right. It can be so different.
1: It is so different. So using your years, I mean, it comes with experience, I have to say. And I'm still learning that, too, even till, till this day. And, and it's also, I think...
0: it's, it's a constant thing. We learn yeah, it all and... our lives. You know, I, reason, I mentioned the, the Mendelssohn because I've only heard the strings, the entrance in I've only heard that played really well on one recording. And it's not a conductor that I like politically, was but it was Furtwängler, with with um, <gasps> with Manuel. He gets this darkness in the strings, yeah. you know. Yeah, a little heavier, yeah. And, well, it's yeah. not so much the heavy; it's also the pulse.
1: Yeah,
0: it's you're not hearing dot 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 dot, but you're hearing so. It's where I'm going is the characterization. Of the music yes.
1: in this
0: in the style of this oh, romantic what?
1: yeah i gotta listen to that recording again yeah well it's
0: with ben Yuen right after the war yes. it's the characterization yeah. of the music mm-hmm. now to, to to get close to the conclusion this has been so wonderful it's to talk about style so mm-hmm. we're talking about mendelssohn writing this piece his last orchestral work and which he worked very very hard on we we, we understand yes to me, he is a co- also a bridge, although he is an early Romantic in the way Schubert and Schumann were, his contemporaries,
1: yeah.
0: he's also a kind of classical person. Yes. There's a bit of a stiff upper lip like the British in him, and he was yeah. friendly with Queen Victoria and Prince Albert, you know that. So, sure. And he died really before the middle period that got more industrial and more Wagnerian, let's put it that way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So when you approach a Mendelssohn style versus a Brahms concerto, which was written at a very different time with right. Tchaikovsky in a very different imperial Russia. Sure. What What are you trying to find out about the style of that piece in that composer's time? How does that affect your playing?
1: That's a very good question because I feel like Mendelssohn – Again, I agree with you completely that it is. It should have the feeling of that classical sort of more lightness and that elegance. Yes. Not so much the juiciness of the Tchaikovsky to Romanticism, mm-hmm. or the sort of the big big gestures of the Brahms Violin Concerto. And yes, I mean that's why I think sometimes quicker tempo also helps me. And uh, the strokes, you know, like what you do with your right hand, Mm -hmm. even when you're, you know, with the second theme, you know, like how you phrase it and also how you kind of bow it. You can't be too heavy and it's in the dynamic is in piano. There's no strings that you're fighting against really. And so, yeah, I mean that lighter approach is, I say light, I would say more elegant and as well, you course. said, you know, it's not so much so sentimental. It's not crying.
0: You're no, it's, not got more, it's got more Fanny Mendelssohn than it has uh, Ernestine schumann Heink. <laughs> 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 no, but you see where I'm going. Um, you know, if you were playing, for example, the Bear Concerto or, you know, the Britain Concerto or something like that, Penderecki Concerto too.
1: You kind of really dig into places. It's and such a
0: different kind up. of style. But don't you feel that when you play the Mendelssohn, I know yes. you have played the Mendelssohn trio, the great trio.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Even, you're right about that. It, it, also, he's a trio too, piano trios, which I love. And I, I love,
0: love like, that. Tri- you know, dee-da, <laughs> oh my God. It's so beautiful.
1: And the C minor too. I mean, it's genius writing. It but
0: is, yeah. You you have played, it informs your Mendelssohn Concerto, having done the chamber music of Mendelssohn.
1: Absolutely. You know, actually, Mr. Penderecki had mentioned that. He said, you know, chamber music is very, very important. He says, you get to know about a composer through his chamber music.
0: No question about it. Yeah.
1: And the- so, you know, when I was learning his sex set, for example, he talked about that a lot and how chamber music is this is what his true love was, chamber music, and writing chamber
0: music. I've written both forms. I don't know whether I love one or the other. I do know that when you write a concerto, it's a more public statement in a way than yeah. the intimacy of a chamber p- performance. Sure. I was in a house performance, Raising Money, years ago, and I remember I heard the, they brought in a string quartet to play, and they played a Haydn string quartet, middle oh, string quartet, great. in a house, in a house.
1: Nice. Well, that used to be sort of the
0: That's the way it was done. That's the way it was done. So different music, different strokes for different folks, different music for different locations, don't you think?
1: I know. I know. That's why we never get tired of it.
0: You know,
1: every performance is so different. Every occasion is different. Every hall is different. Every orchestra is different. Conductor, it's like.
0: And different audiences, different times of day. Yeah. Chiyon, just to finish up, I, I'm just curious, now that we've been through this time of reflection and hopefully we move forward into into a better situation going forward, where would you like to see our field go? What do you want to have happen?
1: Our field as in like our classical music. Me-
0: classical music World. in America. World. In America. I don't mind. I perform in Europe no, <laughs> and I- here. You know, where do you want it to go a
1: lot you know like about like how we need to bring in more new people or younger audiences reaching out to them and so forth i think great music speaks for itself, and i've introduced classical music some of my close friends who are not musicians and you know when i talk about it like how it makes me feel like how i'm, I'm emotionally moved by it but i also bring out you know certain parts of the music, why it makes so, and they completely agree, they just need to be, I agree that they, they need to be exposed to it, um, but doesn't have to be, you you don't have to be so young to be exposed to it, I think you appreciate it in your 20s, 30s and 40s, you know, but how you are exposed to it the first time, I think it is It is important and I mean, I try to do my part and I know that a lot of my friends, my colleagues, you know, classical musicians do the same thing, you know, to introduce it in a way that how we feel about it, because, you know, you will always remember the things that you're, you have emotional response to. Of course. And that's what we are looking for, emotional response to classical music that we've experienced and it's incredible. And I know that once, you know, people experience it, they will come back for more. And I know you know, talking to a lot of um, like audience members, like, you know, patrons mm-hmm. during the pandemic, they can't wait until like go back to the concert hall. I think we are just gonna have like flood of all these people. We're gonna have even bigger audience than before, because now they're gonna really appreciate having live musicians playing and, and the musicians too. Like right now, I can't wait until I go on stage in February. Oh, yeah. I'm so I excited know. about it, I know. and so I true. love the fact that I have you know, time to review really carefully. It was like this time was really nice to have, sort of like have a little break and smell the flowers on like right in front of you and to really get to know it better. Wow. So um, you know, I'll probably look back to this period and say, wow, that was an incredible time in our life and you know a lot of unfortunate things have happened but at the same time it also made us kind of grow in a positive way
0: i hope and deepen
1: i'm not the only one feeling that so
0: no you're not but i cannot wait to hear the playing of chi on on that wonderful violin of yours going forward um this has been a wonderful little short period of time for us to talk and i hope our our listeners enjoy your radiance and the great beauty of your playing I cannot wait to hear you again in any form, solo, chamber, and concerti, and pushing the envelope of our viol- violin repertoire all the way out to great things. So, Thank you so much, Thank Michael. you, Chiyun. It's so <laughs> wonderful to see you, and stay well.
1: Thank you. You too.
0: This is Michael Shapiro of this half hour with Chiyun, the great violinist on interplay, conversations, and music.